0: And he didn't like that a black woman Mm. was leading this program Mm. and had turned it around. And so at the end of that school year, he said to me, he pulled me into the office, he said, "Miss Williams, I know that I can't fire you, but I would like to invite you to look for another position with the district because you won't be welcome back here next school year.
1: Black women are tired In a world that constantly demands more from Black women, I am giving Black women permission to join me in actively opting out of societal expectations that are weighing us down. The Black Women Opt Out is more than just a podcast. It's a movement towards owning our freedom, reclaiming our time, and opting in to softer expectations for ourselves. Join me, Deandra Coleman, on this transformative journey as I explore insightful conversations, practical strategies, and inspiring stories that resonate with your soul. Welcome back to the Black Woman Opt Out Podcast. I am, of course, your host, Deandra Coleman, and I thank you all for joining me once again and spending some time with me. Today, we have Sonia Williams-Lewis, and I met Sonia, oh, a few years ago, I would say, um, in a program that we were both in. And to watch and it, her journey has been uh, quite interesting and quite inspiring. I know we've had some conversations in the group that we were in um, that were really quite yeah. happy sometimes, you know? Um, so I thank you for, coming on the podcast, being willing to share your journey. But before we do that, let me let the audience know a little bit about you. At age seven, Sonia's refusal to recite the Pledge of Allegiance marked the beginning of her journey driven by a quest for justice and opportunity for herself, her family, and her community. Raised in Oakland, California, she grappled with the dichotomy of loving her neighborhood's culture while despising the trauma it inflicted on Black girls. Matriculating to Spelman College in 1989, Sonia earned degrees in history and psychology, followed by a master's in education. After 17 impactful years in education, her unapologetic approach led her departure in 2009. Transforming adversity into determination, Sonia founded Ascribe Educational Consulting LLC and Edify Humanity, aiming to rectify racialized trauma in educational spaces. Today, as a sought after speaker, entrepreneur, author, and advocate for equity, Sonia emphasizes the urgency of fighting systemic oppression to ensure a future centered on humanity and equity. Welcome, Sonia. Thank you so much, thank you. I am so elated and happy to be here. Spaces
0: that are like this are one rare, um, two refreshing and three just needed to fill our souls. So I I thank you for one having me and creating this space for folks that look like you and I.
1: Yeah, I I thank you so much for being here and thank you for saying that. Um, You know, the Black Woman Opt Out is really truly about us making decisions for ourselves, right? right? And releasing the things that we don't want to be a part of anymore. Plain and simple, right? It doesn't have to do with yeah, anything. Much so. You know, it, it could be traumatic, not traumatic. It could be whatever. We just don't want to do it anymore. So, I, you know, we're choosing right. to opt out. And I'd love to kind of dive into your journey and what has led you to where you are now i won't be the one to tell the audience um i will (laughs) let you tell it in your beautiful language you know and how you want your narrative to be told but why don't you give us a little back history about yourself um and what's led you to your personal opt-out right now you know that
0: is a question that sometimes changes every time i'm asked like how did we get here right Mm -hmm. um I always, in saying how I got here, I always include my tribe. So my mother is a um, Chicago chick that grew up in the projects, and she her sheer determination was, not only am I going to leave this place that is um, a a mountainous concrete jungle. Um, To look for something better for my children. I promised myself and my children that we will never live in the projects or an apartment for that matter. So I I grew up with a mother who was determined um, to work as many jobs as she had to, to make sure that there was a house over our head. And so um, I didn't know later until later on in life what that meant to me and my journey because for me, what it it was more than just her determination, right? It was aI'm willing to sacrifice for that which I experienced as a child so that my children don't have to experience. So I take that with me. And then my father is a good old country boy from Texas who is one of fifteen um, children. Um, mm. and all of them were born at home by midwives. And, and my grandmother was a community midwife because the hospitals in Texas, in this rural area that he grew up in, there were no hospitals for black folks to be born in, even mm. in the nineteen you know, forties and fifties. Mm-hmm. And so his journey to California, cause you know, I'm a, I'm a Cali girl. Um, his journey to California was because he wanted to get off the cotton fields and mm. yes, as a child he picked cotton still That's in right. the night you know as a as a young boy um yep. and so that was his journey so between the two of them the determination was like uber important um mm-hmm. lead, transfer to
1: me and who i am
2: yeah but my i mom, can
1: you know i'm sorry i wanted to my mom picked cotton in texas also she was born in it's Texas. A real a very thing. real thing. Very real. I'm yeah. sorry to interrupt, but we don't yeah, understand. No. We're not that far removed, guys. Like we're very still much not so that far removed.
0: Yep, very much. And so I watched both of them um, be this young married couple. You know, my dad at the time that I was born was is a um, was a discharged um, Vietnam vet, mm-hmm. um, had gotten a job and was one of the first four first um black hired police officers with the richmond police department in the bay area um he was then targeted by the white officers he and his other um black hires they were all targeted and within two years all of them had been fired or let go at some capacity and so you know yeah and my mom because of who she is and where she came from our walls were littered with beautiful black art. I, I mean, literally my house had black Jesus on the wall. I didn't know anything other than, you know, black history and that I was beautiful and things of that nature. So I can I didn't remember at age seven, like I'm going to school and I'm not going to do X, Y, and Z. I just said to myself, I felt like I was a pretty smart kid. I had let my mother tell it. I've been reading since the age of three, since I can talk literally in form a sentence but my mom was a consummate like learner. And so all through my childhood, she was enrolled in some kind of college class. And so mm-hmm. I would pretend to mock her as she did her homework and her studies with her college books. I would mock her and pretend that I was reading the college book too. Yeah. <laughs> and there's the beginning of, you know, the journey. And I went to school one day, second grade, and I said, I sat and I I was like, I can't say this because of that last line of the Pledge of Allegiance, liberty and justice for all. And at seven years old, growing up as a little Black girl in the Bay Area of California, I knew for sure that there was a difference in the way that these systems, I couldn't articulate it like I can today, but Mm -hmm. these systems treated folks that looked like us very differently. Mm -hmm. And so my mom, she'll tell the story, you know, my baby was an activist even when she was a baby, you know. (laughs) And, but what that has taught me over the years is to be as outspoken and unapologetic about my unspokenness. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, that's just the beginning. And, And so they are why I am. And that's why I always say I got here because of mom and dad, their determination. They're sure just like I, I gotta have guts to do this in order to have, make sure that she has and, and my sister has. So yeah. that's kind of how I'm here
1: today. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, and that's a beautiful story. You know, it's 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 a story that is not unfamiliar to a lot of black people, you know, and, and our parents, right. just especially our generation wanting better, as every generation wants better for their children. Right. Um, but again, you know, hearing things like, my mother my father picked cotton it really grounds you again you know it really yes, it is does. something that says okay you know there there's a larger picture here um and so i'm going to utilize what they gave me and sacrificed for me in order to do some good in the world and so i commend you for at such a young age knowing enough yeah. to know, something may right about this right like it doesn't yeah. stick to yeah. my spirit and to honor that, yeah and and
0: that's the you know as at seven, I didn't know that, you know, mm-hmm. I didn't put my words or, together as to say that this is what I'm feeling, but I can tell you the feeling that I did have is ask me why,
2: mm-hmm. like and my,
0: my teacher punished me, she mm-hmm. punished me insistently for ooh, a good three months before it was even discovered mm-hmm. that she was punishing me, and oh. so the punishment looked like okay little miss smarty pants i'm going need you can't go to recess you can't go to lunch and I, i'm giving you a piece of chalk every time i leave out of here i want you to write the pledge of allegiance on the chalkboard then it got to the point of because of my refusal write on the chalk board that the pledge of allegiance is the american way so there was further indoctrination not just of those words but to make sure that i stood in my place yes. as an american as a person that there's a privilege for you to be in these public schools. And I pushed back against, you know, my teacher, you know, I, I still call her name to this day. And I say, had it not been for her, I don't think that I would have the guts to like, understand not just systems, but like that bully spirit. Mm-hmm. that. I have I have an old friend from college who says, you're the bully of the bullies, right? <laughs> and and I don't know if I take that as a compliment because it still associates me with being a bully, but right. I get it, right? It's like you recognize injustice and you want to fight against it and it comes mm-hmm. off like you're being a bully. Mm-hmm. <laughs> just like the bully
2: mm-hmm.
1: Yeah. And so- But sometimes her, you have to say fire was, with fire. Like, and that's yeah. what that sounds like to me.
0: Yeah. And she was insistent. She was like, oh, you're, we don't have this face off. And had it not been for our brand new principal, who was a young, um, just fr- refreshing new blood on our campus, um, she walked in one day and was like, why are you in here by yourself? And then that was the first opportunity that I got to tell anyone. But I also knew that if I told someone, my mother would find out. And we only had one rule in our house. Don't you bring no trouble home from that school. If you have that school call me. Now, my mother was, you know, she grew up in the project. So she was like, I'm picking schools very selectively. My children are going to go to school with white folks because that's where the better books are. And that's just what it is. Mm-hmm. And I can remember, you know, her to don't have those white folks come up in here, you mm-hmm. know, because they are not going to like what they see. Mm-hmm. And I'm trying to equip you to be a better you so that you can deal with them in your future yeah. and so that was her only rule don't don't you yeah. have them white folks come up in here and so that was my fear miss bill you was never my fear because yeah. I knew that I could I, I would practice on the chalkboard and I would do long division I would practice on the chalkboard and I would write my name <laughs> in cursive oh, and I right. had perfect cursive cursive handwriting <laughs> but I refused to write you know the Pledge of Allegiance, or that it was the American way. On that, I would I refuse yes. to give her that satisfaction.
1: I know that's right. I I love that. I love that defiance. You know, I was like, no, yeah. no, we're not gonna do that today. I love we're that. not doing that today. Yes. So yeah. fast forward through the years, you know, this was this was the beginning. You've built yeah. your company. You've you've um, served as an educational consultant, and I. Uh, I don't know exactly how long ago your personal fight kind of started, um, but eventually there was a point where you came to some decision-making that had to happen. But from my understanding, it didn't happen right away. So why don't you take our audience through kind of what that backstory is um, and bring us up to speed with where you are now? Yeah it's it's an interesting i i
0: look back on it now and i still grapple with did i make the right decision i Mm -hmm. still grapple with was i vocal enough i still grapple with if i had held out just a little bit longer what would the outcome how would it be different um so i ended up after being this you know bay area girl we moved to sacramento california um, when I was in high school. And I was like, this is the worst place ever. This is hell on earth. I'm gonna be out of here as soon as I can. And so I, my senior year of high school, my senior advisor was this like very well off um, white man who was very well established in the educational spaces. Like he was connected with Berkeley and Stanford and UCLA and, and Cal, all of the big name schools here in California. And I didn't apply to any of these colleges, but I had gotten accepted. And unbeknownst to me, um, he had put in my name. And back then affirmative action was a thing. And so I was accepted to the, all of these big top-notch colleges. And I came in one day during my senior project and I said, I want to, and I am going to attend an HBCU, Mm -hmm. um, specifically Spelman College. And he got indignant, like the first time in my life that I saw the um, the aggression of what white supremacy actually looks like. And he said, no, 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 you've gotten accepted. And I know for sure that you've gotten accepted to Berkeley and Stanford. Those would be better options for you because you would represent those schools very well. And I said, well, let me give you some story. Let me give you some information. My great, great, great grandfather on my mother's side Friendship Baptist Church. He was the pastor and that's where Spelman College was founded. And so I have a lineage. I have a responsibility. I have a duty to do something that my mother wasn't afforded the opportunity to do. And Mm. so ever since I could say the word college, my mother said Spelman in front of college ever since I can say it. And so I knew in the back of my mind intrinsically that there's something special about this place and I have to get there and I have to find out why flip ahead. I earned a degree, dual degrees in history and psychology. Um, I originally wanted to be a doctor and find the cure for sickle cell because a sickle cell runs in my family, like so many other black families. Um, But I I failed my midterm biology one-on-one and I was like, oh, this is too hard. So (laughs) what else am I good at? And then I I think thought that I was going to be an attorney, my, my dad and my, and my stepfather thought that I was the best, argumentative person on the face of the earth, oh, she's gonna be an excellent attorney. I did a internship my sophomore year of college and I was like, these are some greedy, some people. <laughs> and I don't think that I can charge other black folks with you know, this oh, and, and, and go at home at night and, sure. and have a conscience. So then my third choice was to go into education and I loved like the teaching experience. I have wonderful teachers that I still have fond memories of and keep in contact with. And so I then went on to earn a master's degree in education with an a, um, emphasis on curriculum development and program um, structure. And so I go into teaching and I say, I'm going to be, you know, this gung-ho almighty. Let's, let's teach history from a real perspective. Okay, mm-hmm. you got your textbook, but I'm going to bring in all of these extra outside resources. My class is going to be lit. I look like the teenagers in the class because I'm, right, I'm right. teaching high school, mind you, right? right. I got mistaken oftentimes by senior um, staff for being a, a high school student roaming the hallways on my prep periods. And so I taught 17 and a half years, but I can remember at about year 10, having a conversation with God that at 15 years, I'm going to give this up and go into my next career.
2: Mm-hmm. And
0: 15 years came and I didn't have a plan. And mm-hmm. I said, God, I need some more time. And God said, okay but we said that she was going to leave this career. And so either you're going to leave willingly, or you're going to leave kicking and screaming.
2: Mm-hmm. And
0: so year 17 came and I had a principal from hell. And every time we were in a staff meeting now, mind you, I'm a tenured teacher by this point, by this point, I'm running a small community within our campus. And, we're getting accolades all over the city, all over the state for my program. I had turned Mm -hmm. the numbers around as far as student enrollment. I had saved the the program so much money. Um, We're getting news and and press all the time, just showing what our program is doing. And he didn't like that a black woman Mm -hmm. was leading this program Mm
2: -hmm. and had turned
0: it around. And so at the end of that school year, he said to me, he pulled me into the office, he said, Miss Williams I know that I can't fire you but I would like to invite you to look for another position with the district because you won't be welcome back here next school year and I said the audacity I, I was like was a are you kidding me right now right what are, are you kidding me right now and that led me to like beginning to spiral out of control mentally um for the first time in my life i was diagnosed with depression and anxiety i was experiencing panic attacks because from seven i've been fighting right? right my mother would say i probably was fighting kicking kicking and screaming coming out the womb but from what we know from seven i've been fighting and so mm-hmm. i said no this this is like a this is like a wrongful termination and i mm-hmm. refused to go and so i fought the district and i had a good colleague of mine, a white woman, she said, Sonia, I want you to go to your doctor and tell your doctor, because I was complaining by this point, I can't sleep, I can't eat, I can't think about anything except fighting this man. And she said, I want you to go to your doctor and complain that you're, you can't sleep and that you can't eat and that you can't concentrate and see what they do. Immediately, the doctor put me out on disability, immediately. And I said, really this white woman then gave me the key to something I could have been complaining about because we know the stressors as black women when we're in these spaces of what wears on our soul Mm -hmm. and I had experienced this kind of thing before but I had not been able to one identify it or two say that There was a remedy to it that was readily available at my fingertips. Yeah. I had good benefits. I had dual benefits. My husband and I had benefits. So there was no way that the medical profession could should have denied me. I just didn't know it was even available or even a thought that. Go to the doctor and complain about this. They they, you know, recommended that I I see a a counselor. Um, I saw the counselor for a few times, and it was good to talk through some things, right? But to the sure just resource of being able to take a break from what I had been experienced. She took me off for six months. Wow. And it gave me all the strength that I needed to refresh to sleep. It was like I was, it gave me hibernation. And I said, oh, when I get back out there, I, this man ain't gonna know what hit him. It's gonna be the fight of his entire life. Right. Right. The district ended up having to pay me a severance package because I refused to take any of the positions that they eventually offered me because they were not comparable. And I wasn't going to go back to doing, you know, that thing when you are a first year teacher. I wasn't going to rebuild my entire resume. Respect on my name. They paid, right? They paid me a three year severance package. After they paid me that three years, I took that money because parents were calling me, students were calling me, other teachers and administrators were calling me, Sonia, can you come in and do this? And I said, how can I turn that into something? And Mm -hmm. I had a good girlfriend who said, Sonia, we have to turn this into a business. I said, I don't know nothing about business. (laughs) What are we going to do? She said, you're going to do exactly what you've been doing. You're just going to charge them Mm -hmm. and they're going to pay you. Yeah. What do you mean they're going to pay me? <laughs> and I went in green as all get out, like lime green, neon green. <laughs> and I had to learn how to be an entrepreneur. And that was 2009. And we are now 20, you know, 23. Mm-hmm. And we've been in business now going on 15 years. Yeah. Steadfast, unmovable, unshakable. We're going to keep on fighting this good fight. And it has served not just me it has served my
1: family and it continues to serve my community mm, look at god right so i yeah. completely resonate with if you don't do according to plan it's gonna get a little ugly for you i completely yeah. can relate to that the rug got yeah. pulled the rug out from underneath me because i didn't listen and yeah. um it's not a pretty place to be it's yeah. not a Place to be at all, but it's it's what we need sometimes to make us move, you know. And I know that there are so many women, black women, listening to this right now who have been feeling the push, right? But we we ignore it. We ignore it. Something's not right, and we know better. We know, like we know, like know better. But we don't listen. And then God is like, okay, well then this is what's gonna happen. In order for you to wake up and understand that I have something higher and better for you,
0: and better,
1: yeah, mm-hmm. and better, right? And and it's usually beyond what we could ever imagine, um, yeah. and that's where the fear comes in because it's the unknown. Um, and so, part of opting out is listening to not only yourself but whatever other spirit is is entering and saying, listen, like if you keep hearing it over yeah. and over, over again, that's not some fly by night something, right? No. That's telling you, listen, I'm whispering right now, but when I start yeah. yelling, it's not gonna be pretty. And But a lot right. of us have to get there, myself included, right? Myself yeah. included, a lot of us have to get there where it's a complete yell as opposed to a gentle whisper.
0: Absolutely absolutely
1: yeah. and i and i'm
0: thankful for the experience one because now i can talk about equity in a different you know vein i can talk about those disparities when it comes to what the feeling is when we ignore certain things i can talk about the importance of your mental health and and self care i can mm-hmm. talk about when i'm going into organizations now as a business owner doing this equity work um consulting with organizations talk about like how are you meeting the needs of your people like, are they coming in here and are they suffering while they're here, while you're getting rich on them, while they're suffering, while they're here? Are we listening to the needs of our people? If, you know, COVID opened up a lot of things, not only did it open up, you know, this realization that we have this race issue that has never been solved in this country, but it has also opened up this idea, this ideation that we don't need our people to be here. And it probably saves us more money when we don't have the overhead of our people being here. Okay. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So, give people the flexibility to do their jobs in a way that is more conducive to actually living and let that living be an experience. Like, <clears throat> I love working from a beach. <laughs>
1: right. That part. Me too. Me too.
0: I can take my laptop. I can, as long as I got Wi Fi and my yep. clients are okay. We've learned some things now. Just because we're out of the so-called, you know, emergency state of COVID, why do we have to go back to norms that were literally and figuratively killing some of us?
2: Yeah, like there's
0: a recognition that the norm doesn't have to be the norm anymore. We can create that, yeah. and so that's now what I do with Ascribe. Is it's gone beyond the education, you know, educational spaces. Um, that's what we did for probably the first ten years and Mm -hmm. post george floyd i started getting phone calls i know that you're doing this in at the university i know that you're doing this with a school district but do you think you can come and look at my nonprofit? Mm -hmm. do you think that you can come and look at my my business structure Mm -hmm. um my people are complaining about this and i don't know how to make a statement that represents like i stand with you but i don't know how to verbalize that
1: right but good for them right like good for them Recognizing that they don't, they want to, but they don't know how, right? Because it's right. not up to us to educate you. Fine, figure it out on your own. You should not be looking to your employees to help educate you or figure it out. Hire somebody, pay them some money, but at least they they recognized that yeah. they needed that assistance. So kudos to them Absolutely. for that. And I mean,
0: I I, you know, I recognize the fortuneness of where I am, you know, I'm in California, which is the fourth largest economy in the world. It is seemingly progressive when it comes to politics and social justice issues. And I say seemingly because there are still very nooks and crannies of this great state of California that have red politics, even though we wave wave a blue flag. And, And that's another, you know, topic for another day. But what I will say to folks is because of the norms and these systemic things that have all we've all been conditioned to accept that this is what it is go to work get married have children whatever that norm is and if we don't fall into the constructs of that norm we are we consider ourselves inadequate to some degree or another and i don't just say that from a a, from a career employment standpoint i say that from a social standpoint who are your people in community i say that from a family standpoint who are your people because just because you blood with somebody don't mean that you have to like or be around that somebody right when you make decisions in any relationship all relationships you need to have boundaries and standards and and expectations and if people are not giving you what you need Need. You need to be able to say, "I release you with love, but I release you." Yeah. And so, the opt out for me is—it's so many layers. You know, I'm 52 now. I wish that my 42-year-old self had the courage to opt out of some things that, you know, 52-year-old Sonia is like,
2: "Hey, hey, hey, hey,
0: girlfriend, let me tell <laughs> you, we're mm-hmm. not gonna do this for another 52 years. So, we gonna need you to get it together." And so. You know, my, my my babies remind me they are they are the source source of my greatest joy, um, and and I look at them, you know, I, I consider myself chosen yeah. to be a woman in this country that has birthed six black boys. Mm. I don't have a girl to you know to to pass on that that feminine wisdom to. Mm. Um, I I married a husband that had four children, and and I was blessed with four bonus children, two of them being girls and they will tell you without a shadow of a doubt, hands down, you gave me something that my mama couldn't give me and I appreciate you for it. But I also know that I couldn't be their mother, right?
1: Yeah.
0: Um, and at the same time, God chose me to have six black boys
2: mm-hmm. in a in a
0: world, in a society where the target is ginormous on their backs. And yeah. so I, I always defer back to seven-year-old Sonia who, who was fighting at seven. I defer back to 13-year-old Sonia who was You know, on the public transportation, you know, cussing and fussing with her friends, not being the best example of who she can be. But she was doing that because black girls weren't heard. I, I defer back to 18 year old Sonya, who when I got to Atlanta. I can remember my first MLK march, and the KKK was there in their white garbs with shotguns in their hand. And I froze in the middle of the street because you hear about something, but it's different to see that
2: something. Uh, yeah. Growing
0: up in California, I, I never in my wildest imagination would have ever thought that I would run across seeing the things that I read in history books. You know, I defer to my 25 year old Sonia, who got married, and, you know, as a dark skinned black girl who's voluptuous. Um, i shouldn't say voluptuous curvy right Mm -hmm. i don't know for certain that i can say and i can say this now i don't know that i was in love i Mm. knew that i was being chosen and for black girls sometimes it's like if you're not being chosen
1: come on like for real That Oh, that is, that is something. Even at my, so my 42 year old self right now, who has been unmarried, right? For, I have never been married. I can see how when through life you have just not been chosen and when now you are, you move into it because you're being chosen. Not necessarily because you are head over heels in love you like if i don't catch this train right now another one may not come may not ever come
0: and then you take along with the the psychological conditioning of who we are as black women Mm. as a dark skin i I grew up in california and dark skin was not in for a long time (laughs) you know the first time that i felt like dark skin was in i was in the south you know, and it was the first time that I, I got to Oh girl, you fine. You, you beautiful. You never in my entire, other than my mother and my father and my family, my yeah. immediate family who I felt at that time had to love me. They mm-hmm. had to tell me I was pretty. Right. Mm-hmm. But to hear it from the numerous of people and, and, and then be beginning to transform what that standard of beauty for myself look like but the Mm -hmm. world's still telling me that i don't fit that beauty standard so there are so many layers to at least for me and that's what i appreciate just the sheer name of black women and how we opt out and and what we potentially can opt out of because there are so many things we can't we do have the power to choose for and i believe that our voice is extremely important And if we don't know how to use that to our advantage, you need to get with another good girlfriend and learn how, because Mm -hmm. there's strength in numbers. Um, Agency is important because Mm -hmm. it's one thing to say that that's a problem, but not know where to go to get the resources to solve that problem. And then advocacy, right? Knowing that somebody else got a problem and you can be a voice for them. And then transfer that to leadership. Those are my principles that I live my my life by. My Mm -hmm. voice, agency, advocacy, And being a leader, being an example.
1: I love that. I love that. Pardon the interruption as I hope you are enjoying this amazing episode of the Black Woman Opt Out podcast. This is just a friendly reminder to grab your opt-out swag and represent the Black Woman Opt Out movement for Black women everywhere. From hoodies to t-shirts, hats, and mugs, The Basics Collection of the Black Woman Opt-Out is available now at theblackwomanoptout.com. And please be sure to tag us when you post your amazing pics and our amazing swag. Now, back to the podcast. Yeah, those are are some powerful words right there. Um, So you mentioned now at 52, right? There are some things that, wish you would have begun the opt out in you know of 10 years ago right can you give us examples of what those are for you right now yeah for
0: me it is not subscribing to anything that doesn't serve me Mm -hmm. like every day that i wake up i want to smile i want to feel joy radiating throughout my body and i want to feel liberated and so liberation for me is having to I don't want to say make an ultimatum to someone that I've loved, you know, wholeheartedly with my entire top of my head to the sole of my feet, 10 toes down, we gonna fight this out. 27 years of a marriage, being with someone, um, but having to come to the realization that this is not serving me.
2: Mm-hmm. And
0: how can we together figure out? how to serve each other going forward and and coming to a realization that if that doesn't happen, what am I going to do about it? Like that same conversation that I had with God about that 15 years that, you know, went into 17. I believe that there have been some red flags that some change had to come earlier and I just continued to ignore them. And so now today it's like, okay, 25 years is upon me. And I knew that 25 was going to be paramount in this relationship and I said to myself I had one request of my husband um I have an, un, an, and an uncle and I said I want to introduce you to them and I want you to watch their mannerisms and how they interact with each other
2: mm-hmm.
0: they slept in separate bedrooms they came in every, every family function they came in separate vehicles um he had his favorites you know and and he was like the life of the party she was very much an introvert they didn't look in any social setting like they were married. Right. And I said to him early in our relationship, I don't want a marriage like that. Hmm. And Hmm. I witnessed that, I witnessed that interaction all of my life. Yeah. And so I knew at a young age that I didn't want to love like that.
2: Mm -hmm. And
0: I found myself probably at year 17, 18, 19, 20. Reminding myself of what I didn't want.
1: Okay.
0: And that I was morphing into that.
1: Interesting. So you yeah, had yeah. example very early on of what you did not want, brought it to his attention. Like if this ever becomes us, like we need to, we need to figure it out quick, fast and in a hurry. And then you saw, which often happens so much, right? Like as we just grow in maturity as we grow older you know very young us will be like oh, i can't be like my mama when i'm older like if i do like my sister and i have a pact right like if you ever see me acting like x call me, okay. call me the carpet like we because we need to nip it in the bud right now so i get that yeah but there are certain truths i think that just are life truths right that that can happen if you don't water the relationship, if you don't actively ebb and flow with the relationship and figure out how those flows can be on the upside more than the ebbs, right? And so yeah, um, it's just something that happens and you look up one day and you're like, my God, I'm like my aunt and uncle. And this is what I said could never be. Never be. So what is the decision-making process again, because I am a never been married woman, black woman. Yeah. Right. And so how I move and how I operate, though I have a child, it's just very different when I don't have to consider a husband, his life, his children, right. his family, you know what I mean? I, so what does that decision making process look like to begin choosing yourself?
0: Yeah. Yeah. It
1: starts for me,
0: it started with giving myself grace, Mm -hmm. giving myself grace with the reckoning. Like I I started to pray and I was, my prayers were, you know, revealed to me what I need. Mm -hmm. And while I was, I was always really, really good about what I didn't want and what I wouldn't have, Mm -hmm. like my list um, of what I needed for a spouse was about all the things that he could not be in my life. Like, I knew I, that I didn't want somebody who was a smoker. I knew that the person, you know, you had to be, impo- You so there were things that I knew that you couldn't come and step to me as, right? Right. But I wasn't clear on what I needed. Mm-hmm. I wasn't clear on knowing that I need to be hugged and cuddled, you know, on, on a regular basis. I right. didn't know that I needed, um to be someone's helpmate for, but for them to be my helpmate as well, because we get that a little bit confused when you know we we literally follow you know biblical you know teachings huh? and things you know you know I kudos to my daddy who's a who's a pastor, but he will tell me I am his biggest challenge because he I bring him things that he doesn't, so he has to put things into a different perspective, right? When he's behind that pulpit, he, he often says, well, my oldest child has now taught me <laughs> because yeah. he knows that there is a way in which that we can have more equity and, and, and satisfaction and joy and love within our relationships with one another that doesn't have to be this prescribed. We do it one way. Mm-hmm. And so I wasn't clear in my work life about what I didn't, about what I needed just mm-hmm. like I was in my relationship. So I had to begin to look at, this is what I need. And mm-hmm. what I needed was a cheerleader. Like I'm his biggest cheerleader. I, I'm his secretary, I'm his doctor, I'm his cook, I'm his maid. I need a cheerleader. And especially transitioning from what, I was always a big personality in the sense of, I'm not an extrovert in the sense of I need attention, but mm-hmm. I'm a, I am a very, you know, your my presence is felt.
1: Yes. Yes. One hundred. You
0: know that I was in that room,
1: mm-hmm, right? Mm-hmm.
0: I'm an introvert in the sense of I sit back and I observe, and then I'm gonna put my two cents on it. Yes. Right. Yes. I'm a listener. I'm a processor. Mm-hmm. I'm not just gonna go in for the sake of let's go. Hey, hey, hey. Mm-hmm, baby, mm-hmm. Right. But because my personality is big in the sense of my presence is felt. Yeah. I knew I didn't know that I needed a cheerleader. I didn't know that I needed someone to be secure enough in themselves that if I'm going and speaking on a stage, that I have to hold your hand and everybody that I talk to, I have to introduce you to. I I can't manage other people's personalities or that kind of energy, and I didn't knew I didn't know then that I couldn't do that for him.
2: Yeah, and so
0: I had I had to give myself grace. So the first thing in making this decision was, Sonia, give yourself grace. You didn't know that that's what you needed, and you didn't know that that's what he needed.
1: Okay, okay, yeah, Yeah. wow. I mean, that makes plenty of sense, right? And I think that we are oftentimes our biggest critic. You know, we, we we cannot forgive ourselves. We cannot give ourselves grace because there is some intrinsic something in us that says you should have known. You should have known better. Something should have clued you in earlier, or you should have taken the time to learn this earlier. And it's so hard to give ourselves the grace that we need to first accept where we are, right? Because that acceptance is the first level. Like this, this is reality. This is where we are right now which is then going to give way to the next step of an action plan, you know? All right, right, now I know where I am, I recognize it. How do I move into or out of where I need to be? Um, And so, you know, as as a whole, I would say that the first step in anybody's opt-out journey really should be giving yourself grace to accept, you know, where you are, and accept what you didn't know or or accept right. the mistakes that you made. It's okay. Yeah. It's okay. Yeah.
0: I can remember being a kid coming rushing home for school every day to watch Oprah. We re, we recorded it and I was a pretty active kid, just as busy as I am as an adult. I was that busy as a kid. And so we would record that was the one show my mother would record all my children in General Hospital and she would let me record Oprah and i can remember an episode that oprah said we don't know what we don't know yep. you know our birth and circumstance so let me a little backstory on my husband and his family i he i knew that i i i would be okay with marrying a blue collar man i i i have pride in my father being a blue collar man um he was a truck driver he um owned his own business but he was i get my hands dirty every day kind of okay. man But he provided for our family and he did well for us. And so I knew that I would be okay not having to marry a a college educated, you know, man. Um, And so my husband is very blue collar. Mm -hmm. And... He and I had synergy around. You know, we kind of grew grew up hood. I think he a little bit more hood than I am, but he he is he was the square bearer of his hood. So you know, he's the a a a fly on the wall. He was the wallflower, you know, kind kind of guy. He watched all the stuff go down, but Mm -hmm. he was savvy enough to navigate those streets and be connected to enough people that he was he was okay and protected. Um, Where I was, you know. I had to do some things in those streets to make sure that i was protected you know Mm -hmm. the 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 fight of just fighting to get out the hood was it was a fight you know watching my girlfriends when i was younger um get pregnant or enter into relationships that did not you know serve them or um, get into gangs or get on drugs all of those things i witnessed firsthand Mm -hmm. but what i saw in him most importantly was that he had custody of his children and he was what i thought a present father in the sense of he was a provider mm-hmm. and so again the things that i said that i had to have weren't the things that i had clarity around of what i needed so yeah. going let's be clear you know ladies when we say does he have a job
1: right right
0: he go to work every day.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: day and, and <laughs> Just because he go to work every day and he paying these bills, is he a provider and a protector? So I confused providing and provision with protection. What I needed was protection.
1: Oh, okay, okay.
0: And I didn't have I didn't have protection in my marriage because he wasn't. Um, he wasn't, cora- and not that he wasn't courageous enough. Maybe that's the wrong word. And maybe I one day will come up with the word that is the appropriate word. But right now I'm just going to say he he's not as outspoken as I am. So mm-hmm. I know that my outspokenness gets me in trouble. I've also mm-hmm. in the last 10 years been one of the leaders of Black Lives Matter here in, in, in California. And so my husband would never, mm-hmm. the audacity of me to put my college career, my, my, who i am as a person in the cook why would i put that on the line to be out there in them streets and 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 and, you know making all this ruckus yeah and so he
1: go ahead go ahead finish your. yeah so i was there but that's he would never go ahead i was gonna say that's the word it's he's not as audacious right because in order to have a big voice in order to speak out against something you have to have a level of audacity that makes you feel like you are worthy enough to speak out against whatever it is, right? So right. if it's so so courageous may not be the word you're thinking of because when I think of the word courageous, there's a level of do it in spite of the fear, right? But right. Because, but I don't think that that's what it is. It's the audacity right. to believe that you are I worthy enough, yeah, to, yeah. To, to put it out there on Front Street right and so he was he's very
0: still to this day i'm satisfied with going and working for somebody else i'm gonna clock in i'm gonna clock out I don't necessarily like or enjoy this job, but it provides for my family. It gives us benefits. It gives me freedom and flexibility to make sure that they're okay. I'm Mm -hmm. doing a good job and I'm doing what I'm supposed to be doing as a man, but Mm -hmm. I really don't have a voice in the decisions that this company is is making. I really don't have a voice when it comes to when I can clock in and clock out. I really Mm -hmm. don't have a voice in, in picking and selecting what the benefits are, even though as a black man, that there are some extra targets and my job doesn't recognize that as a Black man, I need you to say something as an organization because the target is on me as a black man in this country. So Mm -hmm. yeah, you're right. It's an audacity that he doesn't have, and bless his heart, going home and locking the door behind you at our comfortable home doesn't doesn't remove the target on your back. And Mm so my 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 comment to him would be like, I go out in these streets and I fight for you and your brother and my daddy and my sons and my cousins, all that have this huge ginormous target on your back plus as a black woman the target is even bigger because Mm -hmm. we still are on when we come to totem pole you know rankings we're below you Mm -hmm. and so i need you to at least protect my voice if somebody come looking for me (laughs) i need us to have a plan (laughs) that you ain't gonna turn a sister over you know i need us to have a plan (laughs) that you got you know that bail money in the bank just in case
1: Yeah, yeah. Things get a
0: little iffy at city council meetings because we see these things happen all the time. And I'm not saying that I'm going to ever go out and do anything that's illegal. I'm just saying that I know that my voice is that bold and loud. Yeah. That someone might misunderstand that as she is what I've been told, you know, loud, ghetto, um, Mm -hmm. undignified. Mm -hmm. Um, can we have some decorum up in this meeting and I'm saying to myself how do we measure that and Mm -hmm. everyone's measurement of that is different so whose is right and whose is wrong we can't those norm so those are the things that I had to look really dig deep and be like yeah I didn't know I needed that Sonia you need a cheerleader who is going to protect you yeah like if I, I I I can remember several years ago I, I presented him his he's in the um in the newspaper industry and his industry has been dying and failing for years now. And mm-hmm. I said to him, I said, you know, one of your jobs is closing its shop completely. They are offering you a severance package and an opportunity to go on unemployment and be reskilled uh-huh. in another industry. I think that you should take it. His response, because he's older than I, and I understand that sometimes we get stuck in that old way and the fear of change and all the things and being a man and not having the uncertainty of when the next, I I understand all those things. So those are the fears, right? Mm -hmm. Um, And I said, let me retire you. You can come and work security for me. You can come and work background stuff for me. And his response was, you don't need security.
1: <laughs> oh, my. The one thing that you actually did need protection, <clears throat> he said right. that you don't need it. Yeah. Yeah. And, but
0: I didn't know, like, now I know that, that those two things correlate with one another. But okay. see, back then I was like, oh, maybe security is the wrong word that I'm okay. using. But okay. we can, we can, name, we can give this position a nice little pretty name. <laughs> but let me retire you. We can do so much more together. But yeah, yet, when he said, you don't need security, I was like, oh, okay. Yeah. I don't need security then. I'll but mark that off the list of positions that we don't need in my business, you know,
1: structure. Right. But even so, even as a, even if you were not a person who was so outspoken and so brazen and bold with your messaging, right? As a woman, as a wife, for your man to tell you on whatever level that you yeah. don't need security, right? Because security is not only physical, right. security financially, which he may have been feeling a little ways about since this was, you know, you were talking about retiring him. Right. right? Security is emotional, right? There's yes. so many layers to security. So even yeah. take away, your physical security because of the voice that you have. For as a woman and as a wife, for a man to say to you, you don't need security, automatically makes at least me feel like, well, I am not as high value to you as I should be. And I get that now. But when he said it, it
0: didn't resonate in that vein. Uh It resonated. what, What it translated to me is, I positioned it in a way I so again I beat myself up for what the end result was. Mm-hmm. I beat myself up and I said, Oh, I didn't I didn't present it to him in the right way. I didn't uh-huh. message it correctly. Because for him, it was like, You want me so his his job title is that he's a press engineer, even though he's a pressman who runs the newspaper, he prints out the, the runs the machines that prints out the newspaper. Okay. But the the high, you know, the the Sididi job title is that he's a press engineer. Now <laughs> When I think of the word engineer and any job that has to do with engineer, there's some college education that goes along with that.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: So for me, it wasn't a matter of saying that you're going to be doing less of a job <coughs> or having less value. Mm-hmm. It was really and truly, I think for him, like, you want me to be security? Mm-hmm.
2: Pop- it was- like
0: security. It was a mental thing. Um when I think about security, they standing outside of grocery stores making minimum wage.
2: Mm-hmm. So
0: I knew that for him, that wasn't a way. He didn't receive it as you can make enough money to uh, to yeah. take care of protecting me.
1: Yeah. It was it was a demotion in his in his mind, is what that, it was.
0: That's what it was. Yeah. Mm-hmm.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm.
0: And so later on, only now in the last few years can i now say that that security piece and that protection piece are now like hand in hand like the security like i i value the fact that i'm i'm building and understanding my need for psychological security emotional security um like i need i my boys give me they can verbatim tell you what they mama do they can verbatim tell you that We won't be doing, they can challenge any system. To me, that's security. I have transferred from myself to them, generationally, information that they can go and use in the real world. That is going to protect them. That Mm -hmm. is going to lift and center their voices. I don't, and I know that my husband is smart enough to be able to have been listening all these years in the verbiage that I use Mm -hmm. to regurgitate some of the things he doesn't, he he doesn't have the audacity to say those things. And I don't know if it's that he's convinced yet that we have to, Mm -hmm. because he's been given the opportunity to earn a paycheck. That's pretty good. Yep. Yep. And so he doesn't feel like he has to, So he feels safe.
2: Yeah.
0: Whereas that safety net financially is not the safety that I'm talking
1: about. Mm -mm, not at all. And so
0: it's missed the mark for the entire 27 years. And so, like I said, now knowing the grace to forgive myself, my my auntie mama called me just two days ago and she said, I'm gonna need you to stop beating yourself up. Mm. And I said, what do you mean? She says, I know that you have a very public um, platform and lots of people listen to and are on the edge of their seat about what does Sonia have as words of wisdom for today? She says, but what is coming off for me, who's older than you and who has watched you grow, I know that one, you're going to get through this moment. And two, it's coming off that you're the victim. And I said, because I, I, I don't see my, I, mm-hmm. I, I, I don't walk in victim shoes. That I don't is- walk in the woe is me, you know, kind of spirit. But, and and she wasn't saying that that's what, what it was, but she was like, if everything defers back to what this experience is right now right, and the hurt of it and the trauma of it and the pain of it, then you can't get to the other side because you're going to be stuck there. And I want to tell you that it's been so many of us who have had to mourn what we thought we were investing in.
1: Yeah,
2: yeah.
0: Mourn what yeah. we expected that this would be.
2: Mm -hmm. So
0: I'm not necessarily interested in like getting back the dynamics of a marriage, a relationship, a unsafe space Mm
2: -hmm. that
0: doesn't serve me,
2: Mm -hmm. but I
0: am interested in how do you move forward in a way that is liberating for us all that shows that we can have respect that my, my integrity at the end of the day is still intact. Yeah. because these are things that I've worked extremely hard for.
1: Yeah. This is such a great conversation and I and I feel like we can talk so much more about it, but to 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 con, kind of conclude this, does that opt out because there's different levels of this type of opt out, right? It, it right. and so is your opt out after 27 years you realize something wasn't working and you are opting out of whatever that was to implement, you know, and let him know this is the security, this is the protection yeah. I need. Or is it a full opt out to where now you you have ended things and it's just like, yeah. this is where we are right now. Maybe we're going to get back together in the future. Who knows? What does that, right. right? Like how does choosing yourself look for you at the end of this? Yeah.
0: So I gave myself... Last year, New Year's Eve, um, my family was together. Um, one of the things that have always been prioritized, um, and again, this goes along with that safety, feeling safe, feeling protected, and feeling like you know your value is of high level in your relationships, right? My father was here from Texas. We are all at my mother's house. My parents are have been divorced for a long time. I have a bonus father who passed away who is had very much um, mm-hmm. a place and role in my development. Um, and my father comes here every year to be with his family during the holidays and because he he's he recognizes the mistakes that what led to my parents you know ultimately getting a divorce and they really and truly today can call themselves friends at the end of the day I love that that's a beautiful thing um but they've not been together since I was seven years old and so a long long time Mm -hmm. um yeah and so um The holidays for me are again about safety and protection because if at the end of the day I can't have those who mean the most to me with me, and the job comes above everything else, so I don't. I'm not that chick that believes that you have to work overtime and every time they offer it to you, that you got to be the first one to volunteer. Mm -hmm. And so I'm not driven. I'm not driven by the almighty dollar bill because I think that that is a false sense of security. And so I I began to realize, and, and it's it's been a slow, I shouldn't say a slow progressive thing, building, I, I recognized it a long time ago, I just ignored it. I'm gonna Ooh. be very honest. Okay. I, I, I ignored that he is very money driven in the sense that if I, I, and I understand, you know, poverty mindset, deficit yeah. mindsets is something that a lot of us deal with. I mm-hmm. deal with it in a different way. I mm-hmm. deal with it in building legacy and building something that I can pass down to my children, right? I build. I I deal with it by say giving the proverbial middle finger to the system of say I don't need your nine to five paycheck. I'm right. going. I'm going to charge you what I I know that I'm worth, right? Yeah. And so for for him, it it, it has bubbled into a sense over the years of I'm not going to accept anymore that you don't have a choice in using your holiday, your vacation time and your sick time the way you want to. Mm -hmm. I'm not going to accept anymore that you're going to roll over those vacation times into dollars rather than actually take time to spend with your family.
2: Mm -hmm. I'm, I'm not
0: accepting that anymore. And so New Year's after New Year's would come up and I would be like, I would love to kiss my husband on the lips on new year's at the drop of the new moment coming into the new year and so this year i said to my i I intentionally said to myself if the phone call don't come and if he don't show up i'm done and in being done i left on the 2nd of january Mm. and i said to myself i'm giving us both grace and space i have three requests if we can't figure out how to do therapy together
2: mm-hmm. in this
0: year, there's, there's no point of return that I can, I can venture and see.
2: Mm-hmm. Um, so
0: I've been in therapy by myself and it's been a beautiful, you know, journey. Yeah. I said to myself, if you're not present, these were the three things that I asked of him. If you're not present with our boys, our adult boys, you don't have a, 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 a present connection with them. That needs to be different. Because I have a relationship with my mother and father that is like, I thrive on that. I I cannot let a a day or a week go. It would be, I would be hard pressed if a week went by and I had not talked to my parents. It just is not happening in my world. And his parents for that matter, right? You need to rectify some things with our adult because they they give me all the heavy lifting. They they tell me their burdens. They tell me their pains. They tell me where the disconnects were. You know, Mm -hmm. I have a twenty-five-year-old who reminds me, "Mom, ten years ago, you would have been better off as a single mother." How do you Mm -hmm. swallow that and and expect that from your own child? Oh, and what does that What is exactly exactly? And Mm -hmm. so I had to say to myself if you can't get things right with them, you never can get things right with me. Mm. And then the last thing on that New Year's Eve, I I shared some things with my parents that they were very unhappy with when I shared it with them about our relationship. And I had to tell him and be honest that I shared some things about, you know, our relationship with my parents and you owe them an apology because they expected you to protect me. That part. So when your your 76-year-old father is crying, saying that, that's not what he told me when he asked for your hand. Mm. And this is what protection looks like. And so I that mm. that right that conversation right literally like busted all open for me because I'm hearing my 76-year-old father say that so I wasn't missing the mark in the understanding of what protection meant all these years. No. I just accepted yeah. that I was unprotected.
1: And it's because your father is the one who instilled that in you. So it goes to it stands the right that you would f- feel the same way as he did, right? right. And right. so if you had a right. conversation with your, your then fiat or your, your boyfriend, like listen, this is what I'm expecting of you as a man taking my daughter's right. hand in courage, and he didn't live up to it, then he has every right to feel slighted. Right. Way. He did. Yeah. Wow. And so
0: I will say I, I told myself I'm giving him a year. My yeah. therapist has now convinced me, my therapist has convinced me wholeheartedly that year wasn't for him, that year was for you.
1: Oh, a hundred percent. Yeah. Because, because you, so, gave extra, you gave him extra, he's had 27 years to get this together. That was for that part, you. That's exactly <laughs> what he said. That was for you to make yourself feel better about the fact that because we internalize all the time, well, maybe if I give him another this or that and things could, you know. But that is a hard, to to hear those three things cannot be solved in a year. He's had however old he is, however many years of conditioning to be that way that cannot be turned around in 365 days. He can work towards it if he was very serious but right. it's not going to rectify the situation in just a year. Yeah. Wow.
2: Yeah.
0: So mm-hmm. I will say about a couple of months ago, I came to, you know, the revelation that that this year has been for me solely and solely for me, and, and I'm thankful for it. But now my, my request and my needs are different along the line of if ever, you know, there were an opportunity... I don't want to discount like my, my, my mother auntie said to me, you're beating yourself up about something that you can't control. Mm -hmm. And so I've come to the realization that some people, when you don't have the capacity to do certain things, like I can't hold him to the carpet about what he's not capable of doing. And Mm -hmm. now I'm okay with that. I'm okay with that. The fact that He is not at that space that I need him to be. And so what it looks like when December 31st comes this year is you haven't met, you know, me where I need you to be. And how do we co-parent? Now the conversation is, can we sit down and have a conversation about co-parenting? Our youngest is 10 and we got, still got work to do in these trenches to get these boys to where they need to be. And so what does that now look like? Yeah, go. and it's been hard. So these last few months have been really hard. Those first, um, those first seven months of the year, they yeah. were really easy. I I was entrenched in the therapy. I was doing what I thought I was doing. I had made you know some personal revelations myself and gotten over so many hurdles. Yeah, yeah. and then I had that bam slap in my face, mm-hmm. and the slap in the face wasn't because I knew that I wasn't protected. The slap yeah. in the face came when I had there was an experience that we had. For, uh, within our family and the realization is that my babies weren't protected Mm-mm. and as, as
2: a mama
0: bear right they we were not, never never ever ever we are not doing that yes and so yes. i'm now accepting that he
2: mm-hmm. doesn't
0: have the capacity to mm-hmm. walk in the shoes he's going to have to learn that for himself I can't be that person to hold his hand through that process. He will and or he so won't. I'm just right. He will or he won't. He mm-hmm. will continue. He 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 has three that are very disconnected from him. The next three can be disconnected, and we can go on and have family. You know, my babies function with me. We we celebrate life on a regular basis. We travel and vacation together. They know that when they turn 18, it's your job to keep your passport. And when mommy is stamping hers, you need to be able to stamp right. yours. Let's go. There you we go. We get lit together. Yeah. Like yes. the party is never ending. That's what liberation for me yeah. looks like. Yeah. It's like to the fullest of extent of like, I want my toes to feel like we good.
1: Right. Oh, I
0: love No more two small shoes. Right
1: oh and on that note no more two small shoes oh sonia thank you so much for this you are so letting letting us in and and bearing witness to your journey um i just i i adore you and you know i know when we we were having our conversations within the group before and i was just like there is so much power here you know, and and yeah. my journey to this opt out um, has been—it's been a hell of a year for me too. You know, and yeah. and to yeah. give space, to hold space for Black women to choose themselves, themselves over everything, is so over and
0: over and over and over again. Right.
1: <laughs> yes. So I, I I thank you so much for being here. Um, let everybody know where they can find you yes
0: so ascribe educational consulting is ascribesuccess.com. that's the business side i am you know i'm an oakland chick i tell people when i introduce myself think put it close your mind and think about ll Cool J singing around the way girl that's it i just got an education and degree and i can walk in certain spaces you know to represent those around the way girls that are still out there so uh, on the, on the social medias and stuff, I'm Sony baloney because my <laughs> uncle told me that I talk too much. And so I'm Sony baloney Lewis on the socials and, or I'm Sonia said it or Sonya did it. Cause I just believe in action and not
1: just sitting back oh. and not doing nothing. There you go. Down to your toes. Thank you so much. Sis.
2: <laughs> You're so welcome. <laughs>
1: all right everybody that is another amazing amazing episode of the black woman opt out i pray that you got some golden nuggets from this as as i did tune in to the next episode and i will see you there hey deandra coleman here thank you again for listening to this episode of the black woman opt out podcast I want to encourage you or someone that you know to apply to be a guest if you are interested in sharing your opt out journey. We are always looking for Black women who are ready to amplify their voice and engage in meaningful dialogues that destigmatize opting out, promoting mental health, self discovery, and challenging societal expectations. Contact us at theblackwomenoptout.com. Scroll down to be a guest and fill out the application there.